You're listening to the weekly podcast of Liberty Baptist Church in Bristol, Connecticut. We pray you enjoy today's message. Forget those, tip your waitress when you leave. All right. We had a great Easter weekend. It was phenomenal. Great Easter egg hunt. Man, what uh, have you listened? If y'all missed that, serving at it, you missed out. But if you missed even attending it, what a great time. For two years, we've had to bring that thing inside. Now, last year was the last minute, oh no, what do we do? This year, we made the decision early. Craig had a great plan. His team executed well. We had egg hunting in here, in the team room, downstairs. It was phenomenal. Great carnival environment. Just so many people. I think we had over 40-some volunteers that were a part of that event. So I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of that egg hunt. And then Easter service uh, day, we had two services, and we had uh, people cre- uh, with a continental-style breakfast. They put that together for the worship team and anyone who was staying for both services that was serving. It was just a wonderful time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But now what? We just celebrated the thing that Christianity is founded on. So now what? So now we look to see what we do after Christ rose again and went to heaven. And I think one of the most important things we could be doing as Christians is praying. Now if I ask you, How's your prayer life? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure many of us would like it to be better. Maybe you need to start one. Maybe you had a great walk with God where you'd pray every day, and now you're backtracking on that. Or maybe you're here today, and you're just a prayer warrior. Every day you're going to God in different ways, and I'm so thankful for you and your, uh, your faithfulness. But to, We're going to start this series... And we're going to learn about prayer. And today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And we're going to see the apostles and followers of Jesus after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Let me read some of this, kind of set the scene for us. And then we'll get into our message today. So remember, at this point, the disciples had spent 40 days with Jesus after the resurrection... They'd had meals with him. They'd heard the Great Commission. And we pick up right as he returns to heaven. So Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, the Bible says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward the heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now I want you to put yourself into their shoes for just a moment. We often look at the apostles and people in scripture, and we make them superhuman. They were somehow different than you and I. Well, the only difference is the part of the world they were in, the time in which they existed, but they were normal men and women like you and I. And they had just traveled for three and a half years with this man who claimed to be in the Messiah, saw him die on a cross, have witnessed him alive and breathing after his resurrection, and now they just saw the guy ascend into heaven. Now think for a minute. How are you going to be in those moments? Ah, well, 
So like we look at this and we see them gazing and we're like, oh, why didn't they get up? They just got the Great Commission. They didn't need to go on that. Because they just watched a, a man, a son of God, Jesus, who died, rose again, ascend into heaven. I don't know about you. I've never seen anyone just float up into heaven. If I saw that, I would stand there and just, ah, all right, what just happened? And so to answer that question, God sent two angels, we believe, men in white apparel, standing to the sides. And honestly, if it had happened today in our culture, it would probably been a little bit more sarcastic, like, hey, what are you doing? But instead, they're very kind, thankfully. And they look over at him and tell him, like, hey, what are you doing standing here looking up? Jesus that just ascended into heaven, he's going to come back. Now, if it had been me, I'd, I'd followed up with, and he told you to go do something. Now, get to work. So they talk to him, and they close their mouths because, again, just, uh, okay. And then they walk away. But what were they feeling in those moments? Confusion? Sadness? Fear? A little bit of anxiety? Their Messiah just went back to heaven. They had been following him all this time, and now they're, they're stuck. What do we do now? Have you ever found yourself in that place? Life's threw something at you, and you're stuck. I don't know where to go next. I don't know what to do. I'm confused. I'm anxious. I've got all these emotions welling up in me, and I'm, I'm not sure the next steps I should take in my life. I believe that's where the disciples were this morning. And I want us to see how they moved forward. Because I believe it's a great example of us moving forward in our lives with the Lord. So let's look at Acts chapter 1. We're going to go verses 12 through 13 and, and start uh, going through this passage here. They returned, they, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotus, and Judas the brother of James. So they went from the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's journey. Now a Sabbath day's journey is about three quarters of a mile. It's the distance a Jew was permitted to travel on the Sabbath, which is why it was described that way. And they go into the upper room. Now, tradition teaches this is the same upper room they were with Jesus in prior to his crucifixion. So they are in the same place to where, where the Lord gave them the Last Supper. And, and they're there with all of the disciples, the men and women, uh, Mary, his mother, Jesus' brothers, half-brothers, if you want to be specific. Um, and they come back after this, this moment of just, what now? You know, in that room, you've got a group of people that have just lived about three and a half years of life together and experienced great things. They saw water turn to wine. They saw men and women healed. They saw Jesus die and be raised from the dead. And now they've seen him ascend into heaven. And in the moment of confusion in life, they did what made them comfortable and they came back together with a community. You've got to know, inside of that room, the bond that was created between those men and women was a bond that's hard for many to even imagine. But it's something that each of us can have. It's a bond founded upon the gospel. 
which you have with every other believer in this room. But it's also founded upon experiencing what following Jesus is like together. Why is that important? How do we, how do we get that? I recently read a story about a man named Alan who moved to Colorado. And this isn't about John and Kelly Burrell that just moved to Colorado, and I'm making it up, okay? Uh, John and Kelly used to live here, they moved to Colorado, sorry. But Alan moved to Colorado, and it was really started out to be a work trip. But now when people ask him, are you a native? He says, I got here as fast as I could. Because apparently, living in Colorado, it's a big deal to have been born there. I'm a Broncos fan. I've seen the Rocky Mountains. They're beautiful. I don't get it. But they would ask him, are you, are you a native? And he can't say yes. He can't slap the bumper sticker on his car like so many do. He's not native to Colorado. He went there for a work trip. But while there, fell in love with the place. And at the, reading, at the time that this was written, he'd been there about 10 years. And he said, I'm, I'm not a native, but I've become a local. Now, what's a local? He describes a local as people you see at the coffee shop. Local as people involved in the community, civic organizations, schools, sports programs. You see them around. He tells a story of when he was at a coffee shop and there was a group of men talking about another person in the community that had been injured and was in the hospital. So they passed a card around for him to sign and sent to him. They were part of a community. They were locals. You may not be native to Christianity. You may not have grown up in a church. You may not have grown up knowing about Jesus. Based on what I know of our population of our church, you probably didn't go to this church your entire life. You're not native. I'm from Northeast Tennessee. I'm about as far from native to New England as you can get. But you can be a local. You can have that community bond. But how do you get that? By being involved. The disciples did, just not, did not just spend one hour a week together listening to Jesus preach, then go about their way and have that type of bond. The disciples did not just read their Bible from time to time. Now, I know they didn't have a Bible. Y'all ain't got to get me on that one, okay? I, they didn't just read their Bible from time to time and, and, and then say hi to people on a Sunday and then have that type of community and bond together. The disciples lived life together. They had that type of relationship. How can you have that relationship with people? Many of you have already made the choice to do that. I think you're very wise for doing so. You're involved. You come and serve. You take part of life groups. You're in the nursery. You're in the nursery. Thank God for you. You serve in different capacities. I'm so thankful for our First Impressions team that comes throughout the week to clean up this place. You're involved. Carrie Newoff recently wrote a book called At Your Best. Fantastic book. If you're a person like me that deals with overworking yourself and doing too much, this is a fantastic book called At Your Best. Inside this book and multiple blog articles, he writes about a major problem with the human condition and an insight of Christianity in the 21st century. We're too busy. Have you ever felt that way? I'm just too busy? I'm going to let you in on a secret. It's a secret, so don't go telling this to people. No tweeting this one out. You don't have to be. 
You don't have to be too busy. You can make time for the important things. Say, Pastor, but then I can't do all this other stuff. Aha! (laughs) We got it. You've chosen the other stuff over this. You see, the disciples said, we could go out and go fishing again. Jesus is gone. When the boss is gone, the the employees play, right? Jesus is gone. We can go do this. We can go do that. We can go here. We can do that. They decided to come back together with those they knew best, that they had lived life with, and they had developed that community with. And these were real people. Peter had a family. So you know their conversations probably got intimate at times of him saying, like, man, I'm really not killing it as a father. I'm gone all the time. I'm really not doing that great as a husband. They lived lives just like you and I live. When they had conversations, they were real. They were open. They weren't just, hi, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. They allowed themselves to be vulnerable with these people who followed after Jesus. And that's how you build a community. So when you're stuck, you can find comfort in your community. But if you don't have that community, it's hard to find comfort. Many of us look at Christianity as a solo sport. Hey, guys, this is a team effort. I don't know about y'all. I can't do this alone. I need Jesus. I need you. The same way you need Jesus and you need those around you. We have to choose to build that community. So the times in our lives when we stand there with our mouth open, what do I do now? We have a place to go for people to come around us and build us up in the Lord. And then what did they do? They didn't just hang out and party and eat hot dogs and drink Pepsi and all that fun stuff. They prayed. Well, what about? Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 14 through 22. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about, listen to this, 120. Men and brethren, this is Peter's words, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus, for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Akadama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of this resurrection." Now, I know that's a lot, so let's break that down. They came back together in their community where they had a strong bond, and they began to pray together. After praying for a while, Peter stands up and takes this leadership role of 120 people gathered together, and he says, hey, because of Judas's betrayal and in his death, we need a 12th disciple. We need a 12th apostle. And he stands up and he's telling them, hey, we need, we're going to present two names to the Lord and we're going to cast lots. It means vote. If you don't know who Judas was, Judas was the man who was an apostle, followed after Jesus, and then uh, he's the one that sold Jesus into the Roman and uh, 
Jewish government there to be crucified. He's the one that betrayed him uh, so the crucifixion could take place. Now he's gone, and Peter says, we need to get these people, we need to get this 12th person so we can go forward with what God's called us to do. He's pointing out to these 120 believers that have just witnessed their Messiah go back into heaven, that had led them for three and a half years, and he's saying, hey, we can't just stay here. We've got to get things ready to do what God has called us to do. You know, when you're confused about your next step and you're unsure of what to do, maybe you're a little fearful. You don't know what life's going to be like. You need to find that comfort in your community. But then you have to realign yourself to the purpose God has called you to. I read a story about a lawyer. He made a lot of money, but he wasn't making enough to retire yet. His wife and he dreamed of the big case that would come across the desk, lead them into retirement so they could buy a house in a Florida coastal town and go and play golf whenever they wanted to and just spend the entire time in weekend mode. Well, this lawyer finally had the case of the year come across his desk and it had the highest settlement in the county. And the lawyer decides afterwards to buy that house. Him and his wife get excited. They buy the furniture for the home and then they move. That's around January when they move. And if you know January in Florida, it's freezing cold. There's nothing to do. I'm sorry. That's New England. Um, He's down there in Florida, and they're living it up. He's got three friends that live near him, so anytime he wants to go play golf, he's got to force them. Anytime they want to invite people over to fellowship, they can enjoy it. Their house is big enough with enough rooms that their kids can come visit and the grandkids can come. There's a pool out back and the Atlantic Beach is a mile away. I don't know about y'all, I got some confession to make about jealousy and envy right now. After about a month of that, the wife came to the lawyer and asked him, Hey, how are you doing? And the lawyer said, I hate it. I'm not meant to live in constant weekend mode. Now, for those of us that are not living in constant weekend mode, it sounds pretty amazing. But what was it that kept him from being satisfied in constant weekend mode? He had no purpose. He was living solely for self. The disciples had found themselves stuck, had come back together with their community, and had Peter step into a leadership role and say, hey, we've got something to do. I don't know where you're at in life, what you're dealing with, where you may be stuck, but let me ask you, have you lost sight of what God's called you to do? When's the last time you prayed and called out to the Father, help me? glorify you with my life. I don't know what my next step is. Peter and them, they, uh, they had a prayer meeting of sorts. But when they went to the prayer meeting, they didn't just bow down and say, okay, God, just let your will be done and like, just let us see it. They decided this is the action we're going to take, God, and we're asking you to bless it. Now, if you know the story, we'll get into a little bit in a minute. They, they present two names before the Lord and pray over them. They vote, and they come out with Matthias. Now, how many of you have read the stories of Matthias? Exactly. How many of you have heard of the Apostle Paul? Paul. 
they prayed and voted in a 12th apostle that's not known for planning a church, writing a book of the Bible, or doing anything of that nature. Some would look at that and say, yeah, but they, well, they made the wrong decision. No. Too many of us are looking at our decisions being made for God and we're trying to make them based upon the result. When did living for God become about the results? The results are in His hands. So I want to encourage you. If you're stuck, if you're at a place in life where you don't know what's next, you, it's thrown a curveball at you and I don't know where to go and you're waiting for God to give you a sign, can I encourage you and, and tell you to just pick a direction and ask God to bless it? You can ask two questions. Am I doing this by faith? Am I doing this to the glory of God? And if you're answering yes to those two questions, take your step. You may be wrong, but that's okay. He's still there with you. They made their decision to bring Matthias in as the 12th apostle and to go forward in this ministry with them because your purpose provides your direction. They had to remember what their purpose was before they could start finding out the direction to go. Many of us, when we get stuck in life, we just try to go anywhere. When we need to sit back and do something the Bible says, wait upon the Lord, call upon Him, move forward, and wait for Him to tell you if it's the right thing or not. Now, without remembering your why, you'll fail to accomplish your what. If you don't know why you're doing something, you'll never accomplish what you're called to do. And some of you say, Pastor, I'm not called to plant a church or write this or be a ministry or do this different stuff. I'm not called to be this big shot here or there. No, 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 no. Neither was Matthias. Matthias was called to serve the Lord with his life and bring him glory. When we get stuck, we get really focused on us. What am I going to do? How is my life going to be? If you want to get unstuck, Turn your focus from self and put it on your Savior. And then move forward. It's okay to have lost your way. It's okay to have life thrown something at you and you have no clue what to do. There is nothing wrong with that. My question for you is, what are you doing next? I don't have the answer, but I know who does. God, Jesus, you can find it in the Bible. Those are the answers you get in Sunday school when you teach. But they're simple and they're easy. The apostles came together in a community to help strengthen and build one another up. Hebrews says the reason we come together and don't forsake the gathering of ourselves together as the manner of some is, is the, for the purpose of edifying, which means strengthening the saints. I don't know about you, I, I, I live in ministry. You don't. You don't come to a church every day where everybody's a Christian. You don't live a life surrounded by people that talk to you about Jesus in some form or fashion on almost a daily basis. This is meant to be a time for you to come, forsake all those things out there, and be encouraged, to be edified, to be strengthened, to go out there and live as God's called you to live. Remember your purpose, to glorify God with your life. The apostles continue on there, and it speaks of the ones they appointed. You look at verses 13 through 26. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, uh, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that they may take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. 
And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So this is going into what I just mentioned before. They come together in prayer, and they're praying for direction. Matthias is chosen. Now they come together in corporate prayer. How many of you have ever heard the term corporate prayer before? Okay, it's not something you do as a corporation. There's not a business out there for it. Corporate prayer is when one or two, or I'm sorry, when two or more of believers are gathered together and are praying for one another and for certain things. Remember, the Bible says that when the apostles were in the upper room, they were of one mind and one accord. So they come together for corporate prayer. Now, corporate prayer can be misunderstood. We can sometimes think with corporate prayer, there's special power behind it. It's beneficial. It's not a bad thing. But let, let's not give it more than it should. A lot of times this misunderstanding comes from a verse in the book of Matthew. And Matthew wrote and said, where two or three are gathered, uh, gathered together, I will be in their midst, speaking of Jesus. That's not untrue. However, the context of that verse was actually about reconciliation of relationships, not about prayer. So corporate prayer is a great thing. We practice it in our life groups. Those of you that are in life groups, I hope and pray every week your life group leader is leading you in prayer and giving, giving and taking prayer requests and praying together for one another. It does help create unity. It will encourage you, and it can spur you to good works. Husbands and wives, let me help you for just a moment. If you're not praying with and for one another, start what a great thing it is to hear your spouse calling upon God on your behalf. It helps create a unity and a bond stronger than if it's not there. But they call out to the Lord in prayer. And listen to this prayer. Thou, Lord, which knows the hearts of all men, show whether of these two you've chosen, that he may take part in the ministry and apostleship, because uh, that Judas was supposed to, except he fell, that he might know his place. And that's it. That was their prayer. What I want you to take from that is to understand that a prayer life with God isn't about how long you can make it and how big a word you can use. It's about communing with the Lord. I'm so thankful for many of you I know that set aside particular times of the day that you pray. As a Christian, I'm, I'm often um, challenged by the faithfulness of other religions, of how they are dedicated to a particular time of day they pray. I've been in Afghanistan, and I've heard the prayer calls throughout the day and early mornings. And those Muslims are there, and they are on their knees praying because they are dedicated to this false religion. But as Christians, we find ourselves too busy. Prayer doesn't have to be in a set-aside time, in a set-aside place. I think it is good for it to be. But the Bible speaks about a, a concept called praying without ceasing. And there's a man by the name of Frank Labock, who was a missionary to the Philippines and known for his writing uh, letters by a modern mystic. But as he, he began an experiment as he went to the Philippines. When he first got there, he was a strange man in a strange land. He knew no one. He started walking around, and he started getting to know people. He was doing the work of a missionary, talking to people about Jesus. And as time went on, his life got more and more busy. He spent more and more time talking to people. He was more and more engaged with the work of the, the ministry there. And, and he wrote, and he had to say this. He said, 
either this new situation will crowd God out or I must take him into it all. I must learn a continuous silent conversation of heart to heart with God while looking into others' eyes and listening to other voices. If I decide to do this, it is far more difficult than the thing I was doing before. Yet if this experiment is to have any value for busy people, it must be worked under exactly these conditions of high pressure and throngs of people. Frank LeBlanc was a missionary to the Philippines who had many people follow Christ because of his work. And he speaks of his prayer life not being set aside three hours in the morning to bang on the doors of heaven, but to be a continual conversation throughout the day between him and his God. A heart-to-heart relationship. I had someone ask me one time, I was, um, was praying publicly in, in a church, and um, it, it wasn't, y'all have heard me pray, like it ain't anything special. I use words like ain't. Um, but I, he, he asked me afterwards, he, and I wasn't in the ministry at the time, he said, That's, how do you pray like that? I'm just talking to God. He goes, I, I just don't think I ever could. I walked away from that thinking like, why? Why would it be difficult? Now, I don't, this man's gone on to glory. I don't, I'm not making any judgments on him. But I am, I'm trying to discover in my own heart, like, how is it difficult to speak to God? Well, it must be difficult to speak to God if you don't know God. That would be a hard conversation. Many of us don't like going up and talking to strangers. It'd be hard to have an intimate conversation with a God you don't know. Um, some of us, some of us may may think we have to talk to God a certain way. Listen, y'all, I've told jokes to God before. I think he laughed. I at least laughed at myself. I think sometimes we, we should have a reverence for our time with God and our communing with him. But I, I don't think it's to the point where we have to subject ourselves to a particular time, particular day, particular method I believe our relationship with God and our communion with Him is about how we best commune with Him. Now, don't, don't look at me and say, okay, pastor, I'm never going to set aside a time to pray. I'm not going to set aside a, a, an hour to pray. I'm just going to pray throughout the day. And don't do it. Like how many of us have claimed that scripture? I'm just going to pray without ceasing. And then what happens? You get busy. However you pray, it's not about how much time you spend. It's not about what type of words you use. It's about just praying and communing with God. This prayer was simple. But, and think about what the, the, the magnitude of the prayer. It was to select the next apostle. That's no small thing, y'all. And it was just a short prayer that recognized him as Lord, that called upon him for wisdom in the decision, and submitted themselves to the outcome. Because following after God, the results. It's about the faithfulness. When you're stuck, I encourage you, get in community with other believers. I encourage you to pray. Because answered prayer will prove your path. If you're not praying, you can't have an answered prayer. Again, secrets, I know. 
But as you pray and God directs and answers, it's that confirmation, I'm following him. I believe Matthias served as an apostle. We have no reason not to believe he didn't live his life for God, being a witness for him. No, he doesn't have the notoriety of Peter or Paul. But I'd be willing to bet at the end of his life, they said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. What more should we desire? Are you stuck today? Are you in a place where you don't know what your next step should be? Are you a mother trying to figure out the stage of life with your children, a father trying to figure out how to provide in a crazy world and raise up kids and the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Are you just entering into retirement and trying to figure out what your life's like now? Are you just entering into the workforce and realizing why everyone was upset and drinking coffee all day? (laughs) Wherever you're at, you don't have to stay there. You have a great community of believers right here. But you're not going to experience that community on just on Sunday morning. Boys, if i got to get on to you, I'm going to get your parents. Don't worry, they already know who I'm talking to. You can have that community, but you're not going to get it. And I love you, and I'm saying this in love. You're not going to get it by just attending an hour of church on Sunday. It's going to come by getting involved in a life group, serving on a team, and experiencing what Jesus is doing in your life and the lives of others and through you and your life in this community. And then we're going to pray. And we're going to see what God does. Because I don't know what your next step is. But when you come to me and say, I've prayed and I think God wants me to do this by faith, I'm going to tell you what my answer is going to be. Okay, how can I help? Are you stuck? Are you ready to get unstuck? Would you bow with me in prayer? At the end of every message, we have what's known as a time of response. This is an opportunity for you to respond to the message you've heard. If you're stuck this morning, what has the Holy Spirit brought to your heart to say, I I need to do this to become unstuck? To move forward in faith with the Lord, I, I need to do this. Maybe you don't have a community you can turn to. I need to sign up for a life group. I don't have people to pray with. Maybe you just need to stop at the end of the service, come talk to myself or Craig or anyone in this room and just say, hey, I need someone to pray with me. Maybe you need someone just to encourage you and say, hey, you're going forward by faith. Let's go together and see what God does. Whatever that step is, would you pray right now and commit yourself to God to take it? Now, if you're here this morning and you've heard this message, there's There's something very important and foundational to being able to even move forward. You see, if if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you're stuck in a whole different way. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're stuck until you make that choice to believe in Him. It's very easy, very simple. The, The Bible calls this the gospel or the good news. It's the good news that God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. In Romans chapter 10, Paul wrote and said that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross for your sins and rose again, you will be saved. Not should, not might, you will be saved. 
Are you here this morning? You've never made that decision to follow Jesus. You've wondered, how do Christians keep going through this life with joy and happiness whenever things are just tearing apart around them? Well, it's not because we're that great. It's because Jesus is. If you'd like to put your faith in him this morning, you can do so. Right in your chair, with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to give you the words to a prayer. But the words of this prayer are not important. What you believe in your heart is. You could say something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you are the Son of God who died for my sins. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and change me from the inside out. Jesus, thank you. Now, if you're here today and you just prayed that prayer, I'd love to talk to you. I'll be at the door in the back, and I'd love to hear your story. If you're a Christian here today and you're stuck, and you're ready to move forward, I and this church family are here to be the community that you need to pray with you and help you take your next step. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we've, we've seen what it can be like to just stand in awe of you and, and of life situations and not know where to go. And God, I pray that you have opened hearts this morning to what the next step should be, to move forward with you, to move forward in a part of your plan. And God, I pray you'll be with each of us as we leave here today. Let us continue to worship you. Let us commune with you in prayer, whether it be a silent prayer of the heart throughout the day, a dedicated time in the mornings or evenings. Lord, let us have a, re a daily relationship with you that you may be glorified in our lives and through our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to thank you for your time and your attention this morning. I do have a couple last things I forgot to mention. Um, I mentioned this last week I met with someone and we were talking about things and he asked me, he said, Pastor, how do I give to the church? We should talk about that. No, I, I do appreciate your faithfulness to the Lord, but I do want to make sure. Our, our, how we do giving around here, one, I don't really talk about it that much. Um, we just rely on people being faithful to the Lord through the local church. Uh, two, uh, there are uh, giving boxes that are in the back of the auditorium as you exit on the left side over here and the right side over here. You can take a giving envelope and put that in. If you're more 21st century, scan the QR code, click give, uh, and you can, you can give through our online app, uh, whatever's most comfortable for you. Uh, I do want to make sure you know how we accept your offerings to the Lord and uh, be sure we pray over how we steward them properly. Uh, and then again, Miss Nancy Carlson, I want to mention her because I want you to keep her in prayer. Uh, it was a pretty severe accident she was in. I'm not going to give the details publicly, but no, she has a very long road to recovery. Miss um, Nancy Carlson is a, a, well, she's a senior citizen in our church that uh, has been here for a long time. And I got an update from her daughter this morning. Things are going forward, but slow. And so keep her in prayer, and please, uh, if you are part of our family page, uh, you can see the address on there. If you attend our church and you're not a part of our family group, uh, it's where we put prayer requests in, we support one another. Like, send, go search for LBC Family. It's a group on Facebook, and it's not like to the exclusion of everybody else. It's just 
people that attend here know people here. We share prayer requests and, and help uh, strengthen and encourage one another throughout the week there. Uh, and so if you'd like to be a part of that, go search for it and just answer the questions. We'll approve you in. Uh, but be praying for her. There's an address in there. You can send a Get Well Soon card uh, to or whatever you'd like. And then as needs arise, our care team will be making sure to get those out. Dan and Tally White run that for us. And they'll be getting those, that information out for those of you I know that just want to help and be there for. But right now, the family's asking for privacy and uh, they'll just get updates to us as they can. All right. I love you guys. I'm so thankful to be your pastor. I love just having fun with you. Sunday mornings are fun for me. I hope they are for you too. A time of worship, a time of hearing from God's word, uh, and just a time to, to interact with fellow believers. So thank you for being a part of what God's doing here. Let's stand. We're going to sing our closing course and then we'll be on our way. Thank you for joining us. Please like our podcast and leave us a five-star review. God bless and have an amazing week.